Hey, good morning. Come on in and grab a, uh, grab a chair. Ah, nice to see you all today. Everybody good? Yep. What was that? Okay, I thought he did a boo-ha or one of those military things. I didn't know what that was. Okay, um, this morning we got an interesting passage of Scripture, and to lead into it, uh, I wanted to share a little bit of a story. When I, I, I have a mentor, I've mentioned him a number of times here, and I hope nobody gets bored with this because I, I can't get bored with mentioning my mentor Bruce Larson's name. It's, it's somebody that I learned as much about life and ministry as I've learned from anyone. And, and Bruce is a dear friend, and uh, as many of you know, he was for many years the pastor at University Presbyterian Church across town, which was kind of the biggest church in town back then in the, in the 80s. And uh, we had an incredible staff of people there. So one of our people went on to be the president of InterVarsity. Another one on the staff went on to be a president of, uh, 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 let's see, what was it, uh, Young Life. Another one went on to be the uh, pastor of a mega church. I went out and planted churches. So we had this diverse staff of people that got sent out everywhere, and all of them were very strong personalities. And Bruce had to be a strong personality to lead this team of people forward and this church through a tremendous time of renewal. And he had a personal assistant named Gretha Osterberg, and Gretha purchased him a very important uh, tool for his job as the senior pastor of this large church. And along with everything else he had in his office in his study, right there in the top drawer that he slid out in the middle where you have your favorite pens and stuff was a button. And the button said, I'm the boss. And Bruce kept that button in the drawer for very special times for when one of us, and I never got this in treatment, but I probably should have on staff, decided that we were in charge of things instead of him. And he would bring you into his office to have a little chat. And at some point when the tension was on over this issue about what we were going to do in church, Bruce would open his drawer and stick on the pin that says, I'm the boss. And he'd often ask the staff member who was in session with him, um, who's the boss? <laughs> and they'd say, hey, read, read the pin I'm wearing. And I remember one of our staff members, it's a trick because it goes, read the pin I'm wearing. And then you go, I'm the boss. You're the boss? No, you're the boss. Oh, I'm the boss. You know, we go back and forth like this. So he had this pin, I'm the boss. My sister has a big cup on her desk. She runs a chamber of commerce, and it just says, the boss, right? And um, who's the boss here is, is a big issue in our lives and in our world because we don't really like being bossed around. We all like bossing around. And what a good boss is, a bad boss is, and what the role of authority is, is a very confused thing in our society right now. It's kind of up for grabs. But, but Bruce had this pin that was a big reminder that would just say, I'm the boss. He was the most non-directive, non-whatever person I've ever worked around, the best boss I've ever had. But when push came to shove, he put the button on that said, I'm the boss. And he meant it. Now, for those of us following Jesus, it's easy for us to forget at times that he's the boss, right? Because Jesus is our loving friend. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins to bear. You know, there, there's no dearer friend than the person of Jesus. Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of sin and death and destruction. You know, 
oh, beautiful Savior, Lord of creation, right? And then Jesus wants to fill us up and, and make us completely alive and full persons. And we, and we think about that passage of Scripture that says we're being transformed glory to glory into his image, and that inspires us and lifts us up, and we want Jesus to shape our hearts and our lives and our attitudes so that we're like him. And that's big stuff, too. And Jesus cares about us in our struggles. He's a wonderful helper. Think of all the songs we sing about Jesus being a helper or that song, When I'm on the Tumultuous Seas of Life song that Mark introduced to me here. Pilot me. Jesus, pilot me through this thing. So definitely he's our companion in our struggles. And and he's tender, kind, and merciful. Who is better to go to when you're really hurt than Jesus? I, I think of times where... Um, I remember one time I was stunned at the loss of my grandma, and I was just walking out in Parkland by uh, Pacific Lutheran University when I went to college, walking quietly and just feeling Jesus console me and encircle me with his mercy. That was the first really, really close relative I'd lost, and that was a hard, hard struggle to go through. And Jesus was kind and merciful and wonderful in the midst of that. But in addition to all these things... And in order to bring a new creation and make everything here, here what it is, somebody has to be in charge. And that's Jesus. And he's the boss. And he kind of wears the eternal, I'm the boss pin. And for those of us who experience Jesus as friend in a therapeutic way and all these other ways, we have trouble sometimes recognizing at the end of the day, yes, Jesus, all those things you are, but you're also the boss. And this lesson comes across in the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today. And this is literally a passage of Scripture that's a sermon by itself. I was talking to Mark about this. I said, thanks for this one, buddy. This could be the easiest sermon ever preached. What I'll do is open the Bible. I'll read these 10 verses and say, like, dig it. Just think about it for a second. Then I'll read it again and go double dig it. Really think about what he just said. And then I read it a third time and say, and all God's people said, amen, and I'd send you out. And then Mark said, I couldn't do that sermon. So I am going to read the passage once and talk about it a little bit. But really, this is a sermon in and of itself. So listen to Jesus preach to you through the word from Luke 9 here. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, that you're one of the prophets of long ago that's come back to life. But what about you, Jesus asked, who am I? So basically, he's asking an esoteric question. He turns and goes, who's the boss? Who am I? And so out of that group, Peter was always my favorite because he was like me. He answered first whether he knew the answer or not. And he answered, God's Messiah. Now, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to everyone, and he said, The Son of God must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And then he said to all of them, and this is really the core of the message today about what it means for Jesus to be boss. He said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, And follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? 
Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and all of his holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Once again, back to this main verse. He said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. Lord, these are powerful words. These are challenging words. We love your offer to be our buddy. We love your, our offer to be a, a listening ear. We love your offer to save us from our sin. And we love the fact that you're in charge. But we don't always love the fact that you're boss of us. Uh, and Lord, help us to embrace that today and to wonder ways that we might better acknowledge you as boss in our lives, follow you more closely, and live under your rule. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be beautiful in your sight this morning and shape us through hearing your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love the fact that Jesus teaches while he goes. So he's off praying with his disciples. And as is the case so many times, the, the really deep things that happen in life come out of prayer. And he's off praying with his disciples. And in the context of this prayer time, Jesus, in moment of spiritual intimacy, decides to reveal himself at a deeper level. So one thing I want to say here is that those who approach Jesus as boss and want to be disciples do it through a a depth of prayer. And there's something about being quiet in the presence of God and listening for the voice of Jesus. That is a first act of submission and putting him in charge. And so actually, these disciples have done the first discipleship test going into this experience because they have stopped and prayed And now they're listening to the voice of the master. They're shapeable. They're in a molten moment. What will the master say to them? And the 12 disciples have been following Jesus. They've been learning for him for some time. But still, they have to clarify his role. Who do you say that I am? And these circuitous answers emerge. You know, kind of dancing around. Well, maybe you're John the Baptist. Maybe you're an Old Testament prophet. Well, you're kind of a smart guy. And then then Jesus stops all that and he goes, no, no, hang on. Who do you say that I am? What button do you see me wearing? Who do you say that I am? The Messiah, Savior, Deliverer, Absolute Ruler, the Boss. Now, Jesus clarifies his identity as the Lord and King of all. And then out of that identity, Jesus begins to teach the disciples about this. And and he caps off his teaching by introducing this new order that he who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who gives his life will inherit the full glory of eternity that's promised by Jesus. And this great reversal is so much the story of the gospel and so much the story of life. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the great paradox. And we find ourselves, the more we strive to have it all, the more we strive to do it our way, the more we feel empty. The more we lose ourselves and abandon ourselves to Jesus' way, the more we feel full, even though we might get there doing things differently than we would have ever imagined before. 
maybe our life takes some really interesting turns, but it's richer when we lose ourselves in Jesus. So I think this, this teaching is really clear, and the, the clear message here is that Jesus is a merciful Savior and friend, but he's also the Lord. And Jesus talks about whoever wants to be my disciple must daily deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Okay. How many of you struggle with what I struggle with? It's not, sometimes I don't even have the want to want to do what Jesus wants me to do. Anybody ever struggle with that? And sometimes I have to pray just to have the want to, to maybe want to listen for what he might want me to do, right? And, and so I find myself several steps away from this joyful submission to, oh, yes, Lord, whatever you want. Usually I'm several steps away from that. And that's why this challenge comes to us daily. It's, it's a daily denial of self, and a lifetime of discipleship is not this big, boom, I did something on one day, or I came to a Billy Graham meeting, and I went forward, and I got, quote-unquote, saved. That's a, that's a beginning point. But this life of discipleship is a daily set of decisions to die to self and live to Jesus or live to self and not experience the fullness of life that's in Jesus. And we do that so many different ways. In fact, some of us have learned to use religious-sounding language and religious behavior to justify going our own way and not listening to Jesus. That's one of the confusing things that we can do is actually thinking we're doing it right when we're not doing it right because we're carving out a spiritual life in our own ego, not really a spiritual life in submission to Jesus. And this is a difficult and challenging thing to do. Will I allow Jesus to lead me? Um, I had an experience with this not too long ago um, because... I've been around business a little bit. I've been around church a little bit. I've been around sports and nonprofit. And, and I, I feel fairly competent to function in society and in most of those places. And I was working with someone who um, I could see was being affected by the stress of their job. And then the way that they were interacting with everybody else at, at their work was negative. So this, this young, newly appointed leader was under a lot of pressure. And out of that pressure was applying pressure on people he was working with. And they were starting to, instead of paying attention to their jobs, they were looking over his shoulder to see when this guy was going to come and criticize them or catch him do something wrong. And so I was always taught to manage by catching people, doing people things doing right, you know, you catch people doing things right, and then you commend them, right? Catching people doing something wrong and correcting them always is harder, and it always has complications that drag on down the road. But this person had gotten into this mode where under pressure, who's really coming to others, and I, I, I was watching the effect of it, I was hearing people murmur, and I said to myself, I am going to, as somebody he likes and trusts and values, I'm going to sit down with him sometime in the next week and say, look at you're being an anxious presence, and, and I, I'm not sure that your behavior is helpful here. Could I offer a suggestion that maybe da-da-da? And I think I had the credibility with this person to do that, and I think the situation was one where I could do it. So I prayed, and I said, Lord, give me the words to speak to this young man in a gracious, merciful way, and hopefully just draw his attention to this stuff, because he has all the potential in the world. And I And I went into a a deep time of prayer, literally looking for words to script in my mind. And here's the script the Lord gave me. Dear Randy, shut up. (laughs) 
Dear Randy, do it the way that he says to do it. Dear Randy, if you submit to me by submitting to him and you, you shoulder what's going on and don't say anything, he will become convicted that he is handling things the wrong way. And he will say to you something to the effect of, boy, this has been a hard year or something will happen that will open the door for you to have a conversation with him. I said, but Lord, you know, I've been working on this script of how I was going to sort him out, and you're sort of messing that up. Randy, shut up. Oh, double message. Okay. I think I'm getting the picture here. Well, I did what I was told by Jesus. And, you know, about three or four weeks later, this person came up to me and said, you know, it's been a really tough year. Been a lot of pressure on me. Thanks for doing your best to help me make it here. And then I got a couple of minutes over a bubbly beverage to just say, you know, I really believe in you. I think you're great. And I really enjoy working around you. And um, I, think you're doing, I think you're doing awesome in this job, and I'm, I'm proud to work for you. And there was this beaming look on the person's face. And I realized that Jesus had a way better way to correct him than for me to say something corrective to him. I find that when I let Jesus be the boss, he's pretty good at it. I find that when I decide that I'm a better boss than Jesus, I find that I'm pretty bad at it on many, many occasions. And that brings me to the next lesson. Whoever wants to be my disciple, deny themselves daily and follow me. I think we need to confess multiple times a day, Jesus, you're the boss. Why am I doing what I'm doing and who am I doing it for? That's a big motive check. Why am I doing what I'm doing and who am I doing it for? And I find so often when I challenge myself with that question when I'm about ready to take an action that I've omitted the step of saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do here? How might I die to myself in order to be alive to you in this? And by the way, it could have just as easily been that the Lord would have convicted me in that time and said, Randy, as my follower, I need you to speak up and say something to these pers this person and have it be tender, and these are the words. I'm not saying that Jesus has a one way only of guiding us. What I'm saying, we have to be open to what he has to say to us deep in our inner person. And that comes out of solitude and prayer with him and having some sense of what God's voice sounds like inside of you and then being obedient to it. And how do we know we're following? I never know for sure, you know. I, I always say that I'm fascinated with the pe person of Jesus Christ. And after 48 years of following him, it's 48 years this week um, of following Jesus, amazingly, absolutely amazingly in that time, I've made a little progress. Just a little bit like this. I listen a percentage of the time and I'm faithful a percentage of the time. But I think that's a little more faithful than I was 48 years ago. I'm going to keep working on it. How do you know you're following? Well, there's an inner sense of peace. And there's an absolute... How many people here wonder how to discover what God's will is? Hearing this? I got... There's an absolute way to know God's will. You know what it is? Rearview mirror. You do what you think 
Jesus is calling you to in the front screen. You live it faithfully. You drive down your life. You look in the rearview mirror, and the rearview mirror, when we look back on your life, will tell you the times when you've been faithful and let Jesus be the boss and the times where you've blown it, blown it by being your own boss. You'll see the times where you took up your cross and followed him and it paid off. You'll see the times that you sought your own pleasure and your way of doing it and wound up morally, spiritually, or otherwise bankrupt for a season. That's how you know in the rearview mirror. So we try hard to listen forward. We look backward and reflect, and over a lifetime of doing that, we begin to hear this voice that comes out of that, that gathering prayer with Jesus. Now, this is a big deal. Who wants to save their life will lose it. I have a very dear friend that I have known for 60 years. I do not have his permission to tell this story, but he doesn't know I'm telling it, so I'm okay. Um, and, and you won't figure out who this is anyway. But I have this friend, 60 years, and he is wealthy, not beyond imagination, but he's extraordinarily wealthy, probably close to a billionaire type. He has, he has houses everywhere, stuff everywhere, and is the, is the kind of guy literally, as a WSU Cougar fan, that has bet $250,000 on a football game. Okay? I mean, this, this kind of thing that I can't even imagine in my head. And we were talking, and I've tried for all these years that I've been a Christian, my faith starting and his not starting separated us in friendship. We grew apart over these almost 50 years since high school, and we're kind of reemerging and, and learning each other's lives. And he and his family are talking to me about God, and they're becoming very open to the idea of God and feeling like they need help and their family's a mess. But here's what this guy said to me when I asked him um, about the idea of, you know, what's life going to look like next for you? You're talking about God, what would be important? He goes, I don't know where all this is going. This is pretty close to a quote. My family's grown. All I do is work, and I have no other life. What do I do? I'm burned out, and I'm tired of work. I've earned all the money everybody could earn. My relationship with my children is strained. Therefore, I don't see my grandchildren a lot. I have piles of money that everybody would like to figure out how to get their hands on. I have piles of possessions. I'm 65 years old, and the only thing that I have to do is go to work and come home. Go to work to the business I've owned for 60 years and I'm tired of and be unfulfilled, then come home and be unfulfilled and empty, and then take half a day off a week, half a Sunday, and then go back to work on Monday and do it all over again. Well, here's the good news. After all these years, that friend is now looking and realizing the folly of that. He's looking at his life and he's going, you know what? I looked at you working in the church and young life and all this stuff, and I thought, what a stupid waste of time. Randy could have been brilliant in business and made money like me. And he goes, I thought I was doing it the right way, collecting my millions. Now we're in our 60s, and I'd trade you lives. And anybody who wants to trade their life with me has got to be really desperate. Okay. Um, you know, I have more chronic diseases than a medical exam, uh, medical book, you know. Like, I could, yeah. They, 
I'm not going to donate my body to science. They've got to pay for this thing, you know? Um, okay. But, but the bottom line to this is these stories are real. This idea of Jesus being the boss and leading, leading us to fulfillment or us coming to the end with empty, moth-eaten lives isn't a joke. It's the real thing. And so Jesus looks at us and says, I can be all the wonderful things that you think about me being, but only if I'm also the boss. If I'm the boss and you're not the boss, you're going to need to die to your urge daily to be in control and be sovereign in your life and to establish me in the throne of your life. It's a challenging message that Jesus throws forth here. I don't know what else to say about this, folks. I don't know how to invite us to the table this morning precisely, except we're going to pray. And what I'd like you to do as we pray is think about that line of where Jesus says, we need to deny ourselves daily. What are some of the things that might come up to you where you could step aside from doing it your way and step into following Jesus? And by the way... As I ask this, if you feel like you're going to cry or you feel guilty or ashamed by the things you're thinking of, that's the devil. That's not the Lord. I don't want anybody to walk out of here today feeling ashamed and guilty because they haven't made Jesus absolutely number one in everything. Because nobody here has. If you think you have, you're further away than the people who don't think they have. <laughs> you know. But the fact is we're all in different places with this. And I'm not sure what Jesus might call forth in you or what he wants you to pay attention to. But I know for all of us, there are places where Jesus would love us to be more attentive to him and more interested in placing him in the position of boss. So as we come to the table this morning, allow God to gently, and it'll be gentle, he'll invite you. And he'll kind of giggle with you over how hard it is to give up some of the dumb stuff we hang on to. But allow the Lord to speak to you this morning and, and allow his conviction in the spirit of those places where you can surrender to be a, a wonderful invitation to life.